Hi, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. Just want to welcome you to this Bible study. Today, I'm going to be covering a subject on salvation. Now, of course, I can't cover it all. I'm going to cover just certain aspects of it and just trying to give you food for thought. It was a question that was given to me by a friend, and I just want to be able to cover this for them. Hopefully, this makes it just a little bit more clear. Now, the subject of salvation, it goes very, very deep into the Bible. It is primarily one of the main subjects of the Bible. So when we say salvation, we have to remember that salvation is subsequent to sin. So that means that this narrative brings us to Genesis chapter 3.15. Now, we have to read the entire chapter of Genesis 3 in order to understand. Now, you can read chapter 1 and chapter 2 if you would like, but chapter 3 is where all this begins, is where this whole gigantic narrative, it is the pivot point, it is the beginning point of our salvation, the story of salvation and what God has done in his love, mercy, and grace for us, for his creation, for mankind. Now, this is important that you go back and read, because without reading this, you can't understand the rest of the teachings that I'm going to bring. Now, salvation is to rescue, deliver, set free, to help, all from sin. Now, when we say the word salvation, we think of, you know, first things that come, the very first thing that comes to our mind. And then you have to say, okay, now let me read what it actually is. So this is also important because if you just go on your very first understanding of what salvation is, you're going to be looking for answers based on that first response to the word. So as we go into the Bible and Genesis 3.15, it is what they call the proto-evangel. It is, it is God's answer to sin, to rescue man, to give him a give him freedom from the bondage of sin and to deliver him and so these words these term this terminology that i'm using is all throughout the bible now we see in the narrative in the torah specifically now how this and we could see the the, the different salvations that come about through the torah and now in the book of genesis we could start with noah noah and the ark Think about this for a second now. The reason why we have these uh, scenarios with these types of problems that come from sin, and then there's a rescuing aspect of God that gives us that salvation. Now, in Noah, God spoke to Noah, and he said, I want you to build an ark. Now, in building this ark, it was the salvation tool that he was going to save the ones that wanted to be on the ark and the animals so that they would restart after the flood subsided, giving it a new start. So, and if you look at the symbolism in this, you have God speaking to Noah, Noah responding, building an ark, and then it floods destroys everything, and then they get off the ark, and then it's a brand new world. 
sound familiar? I would say yes. Okay, so let's move to the next one. Now, I'm only giving you this to give you a head start, to give you a piggyback so that you can do your own study. There's a lot more. I can go into all of these and, and do an individual podcast on this, but I'm not. So, now the second one is Lot, is where Abraham was trying to ask God if he could find somebody, if he could find a certain amount of people in Sodom and Gomorrah so he doesn't destroy them because he knows that Lot is there. And God said, okay, I won't destroy it if we find this many or that many is found. And so there wasn't. So the angels went to Lot while in Sodom and Gomorrah, told them we're going to destroy the city, so you better get out. So as they're leaving, the city is destroyed. His wife looks back and is turned into a pillar of salt. You have to go back and read the whole story because I know that some of this doesn't make any sense. So that's why I only want to cover the salvation part. Now, Lot and his daughters were saved. So there's there's reoccurring problems and then salvation of those problems. And this is one of them. The sec- The third one is Joseph. Now, Joseph was sold into uh, slavery to Egypt by his brothers. And, but Joseph is a type of Christ. Uh, Joseph being a lot like Christ in so many different ways. And Joseph uh, rose from nothing. He rose to being the, basically the savior of Egypt through a famine. And so we have, again, we have this aspect of a problem and then a salvation aspect as God's answer. Now we have Moses and the Exodus. So Moses is also a type of Christ. Moses is parallels Jesus' life. A lot. I mean, I would say, I would say that Moses' life parallels Jesus' life more than anybody else in the Bible. And so there are certain things about this that is important to understand. You have to go back and read this. I just can't, you know, do this for you. But in order for you to understand what I'm saying, I want go ahead and read it and then come back and listen to this podcast again so that you understand. Now, through the, um, the Passover and through dealing with Pharaoh and being raised up and all the things that God had done and used Moses... This obviously all happened before Christ. So the life of Christ will reflect every one of these people that I'm mentioning in a large way. And it is because it is a reference that God is giving his people. So when they look back, it is that much more familiar to them. Now, as we move forward in the Exodus, what does God give them? As As to remember the salvation from being delivered from Egypt is Passover. So God gave them, gave them this gigantic process to remember. First of all, you retell the story on a certain day, through so many days, certain kinds of foods, and certain ways to recognize God in his delivering power. All the people involved and it is important that this gets reiterated over and over and over. And so that this becomes so familiar to the Jews, Passover is a, a seriously major holiday for the Jews. It is part of their major identity to be able to say that who they are is because God is the one who delivered them. And when they were taken into the wilderness, 
the Bible says that God said that you will be my people and I will be your God. So this is, it's solidifying. And so as you go through the book of Genesis, you will see how much more this solidifies more and more and more. And then you have coming to the Red Sea where it looks impossible, but God shows up, Moses does exactly what God tells him to do, and the Red Sea opens and the bottom of the Red Sea is dry. So this is completely miraculous. And then you have different uh, things like the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. So again, go back and read it because these references I'm giving you can only be understood if you read. Now, as we move through the Old Testament or the Tanakh, we see salvation understood through the temple sacrifices and the sprinkling of blood with the Levitical priesthood. Now, in this sacrificial system is how we see Christ even that much more is because uh, there's a lot of things that God uses throughout generations, through festivals, through feasts, through rituals that are holy unto God, the gathering of the people, the involvement of the priests, the involvement of the people. Everybody is together and working as one to bring all this about. This becomes their culture. It's not just something they do, but it becomes their identity. Now, as time moves forward, we see that the sacrificial system, we see that the temple of the Lord, the, the tabernacle, it, it becomes more and more important for the Jews, for the Israelites to be able to have their own land. So having their own land will be able to see what exactly God is trying to do for his people so that they can do exactly what will be prepared for the time when the Messiah comes. As you read through the Old Testament or the Tanakh, you can see figures that pop up through the narrative that resemble and are types, shadows, and symbols of Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Jesus is the better Joshua. Joshua led Israel into the rest of Canaan, but Jesus leads the people of God into God's rest, the ultimate Sabbath in Jesus Christ. So Joshua is a type of Christ. You can read all about this. You have to try to understand that God is giving these things, these clues, these types of personalities and the things that are happening inside of the narrative. And then as we go through the Old Testament and you read and you try to see each and every figure, you have to try to understand that these are things that God wants his people to know. It is very important for them to know so that they can look back, so they can remember and then the application when Jesus comes is going to be very, very important. Now, salvation means exactly what I said earlier. It is to rescue. It is to save. It is to liberate. It is to give freedom. Now, when God gives the Sabbath, now when, when in the book of Genesis, when God rested on the seventh day, man also will rest on the seventh day. Now, this is after sin, obviously. Now, the reason why is because 
God rested on the Sabbath is the reason why this is so important. We rest on the Sabbath. Now this is also a type and shadow of what Jesus will provide, an eternal Sabbath. Now in order to have a Sabbath, you first need a Messiah to save you from your sin, to bring you into his rest eternally. Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it reads, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Now Moses is telling us about Jesus. Now he doesn't know who Jesus is, but he knows that this is something God is going to do. God told him. God was pleased with it. Read the whole, read Deuteronomy, uh, whole chapter 18. You'll see what I mean. In Samson, Samson sacrificed himself to defeat the Philistines and destroy their temple to a false god. Jesus sacrificed himself to defeat Satan and destroy his earthly kingdom. As we read through the Old Testament, you're going to see figures like this pop up and you're going to see parallels of what Jesus says what Jesus does, what God does, what the angels do, what the people do. There are so many things that if you read the gospel, you probably know that well. But if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see that Jesus typified every single thing that's in the Old Testament. He was the Old Testament. He was the testimony of God. He is the testimony of God. Now, back to Genesis chapter 3.15 is the proto-evangel. This is where salvation, the story of salvation, salvation begins. Salvation starts there and is predicated on that prophecy. Now, as we get closer to the New Testament from the Old Testament, through all the books, through all the prophets, through all the things that have been said, by this time we should be familiar with all the type, shadows, and symbols, and the examples of sin, of sacrifice, and of salvation. Now Moses talked about somebody who's coming, and it will all culminate in this figure. Now one of the questions you have to ask yourself when it comes to salvation is, why did God give us the law? God gave the Jews the 613 laws for a reason. It is to prepare their hearts. The law ultimately was to bring them to the knowledge of God's love. That's what it was designed to do. But it ended up being the schoolmaster. It ended up being heavy for the Jews only because they thought that it was something they had to perform in order to be saved. But that's not the case. The law was never meant to do that. But yet, if you were to really press Anybody who tries to follow the law, they really can't say that that would bring them salvation. Now, speaking of the writings of the Jews, and this is no way to put it down or no way to minimize it because it's very important, because Jews were a lot closer to the writings, the original writings of the books of the Tanakh or the Old Testament, and they were making commentary and they were debating over what the books actually say, the words, what they mean and how they were trying to articulate it and give it meaning for the people in time to come on what they would read and they would look back. 
So it's important that the rabbinic writings are read and specifically in the Talmud is was an attempt to basically explain what the law actually does, what it what is it what's it for? What's the point of it? And that's what we read uh and you read in the Mishnah, you read in the Talmud and this is uh, in the rabbinic um writings, the oral Torah. This is all important to them. Now, it should be also important to us, but it's not necessary, but it's good to hear what they have to say because it's a lot closer than what we could do when we read it. We read it and we try to like make it sound New Testament when in fact it is actually what God has given in the word specifically to them. Now, one of the things that God has given me and the reason why I believe that the Jews had wrote the Mishnah and the Talmud is because they were trying to figure out how this applied, not in the surface sense. They knew how to do that. But really what they were trying to do is they were trying to figure out Jesus Christ. Now in Jesus Christ, as we know now, looking back, that the law was culminated into him and he fulfilled the law. But if you don't know the answer and if you don't know much, and this was the mystery to them, they were trying to articulate and how this applied in so many different ways. But as we know it now, Jesus fulfilled the law. We understand it because he is our savior. They did not know he hadn't come yet. So they're trying to figure out through the, I believe, the Talmud and the Mishnah. Now, the question I have here is, how is the law fulfilled in Jesus Christ? How is the law fulfilled in general? In Psalms 24, David says exactly, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And then he gives a list here. One who has clean hands. One who has a pure heart. One who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. One who has not sworn deceitfully. So even David is trying to give his understanding of what it's going to take Isaiah chapter 33, verse 14 through 16. He who walks righteously, he who speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with hands resisting bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed, who shuts his eyes to seeing evil, And then he says, he will dwell on high. So even Isaiah gives a list of what exactly it would take. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Micah also, he says, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. And in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 1, again, he says, keep justice, do righteousness. Amos chapter 5 verse 4, seek me and live. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, the just shall live by faith. And then we read in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, the apostle Paul writes, the just shall live by faith. Now, this was a long journey. Now, if you heard what I said, 
and you heard the teachings, you heard the scriptures, you heard the narrative, and you heard all of the things that I've mentioned, it is plain to see that our salvation goes a lot deeper than what we think it does. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Moshiach, the Anointed One, the Savior, the Rescuer, the One who frees us, everything that we read in the Old Testament culminates in Him. He is our Savior, is where we get salvation from. So when we talk about salvation, it's not necessarily something described as we say, Jesus is our Savior, and that's it. What I took you through is why we believe that Jesus is the Savior. Therefore, He can give us salvation. Why? Is because God was preparing us. He was preparing His people to understand. And when we hear the truth, the truth sets us free. If we ask the question, are we saved? It's not necessarily a feeling. It's not necessarily words being said and then you are saved. If you believe the progressive story that I just told you and you heard what I said and believe in faith, the Apostle Paul got it down to what Habakkuk said, the just shall live by faith. So the question is, do you believe? And if you believe, you're justified. When we ask Jesus into our heart, that was a high price to pay in order for that to even happen. Jesus told the apostles in Acts chapter 1 that he must leave, but the Comforter will come. And then when the Comforter comes, this is where we will know. This is how we receive our power to do his will. This is how we are children of God, because we are now the temple where the Holy Spirit resides, as we have types and shadows of the temple where the Shekinah glory dwelt in the temple, and only the priests can go in there. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is a sacrifice. Jesus is a savior. He fulfilled everything that the Old Testament and Tanakh gave examples to who he is. And then here he comes in his time, reveals it all, explains it all, is the reason why the apostles went out as they did, is the reason why we are Christians as we know it today, is the reason why we have salvation. If you heard what I said, and you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Rescuer, the Deliverer, the one to set you free from sin. With all of your heart, this is why we say the sinner's prayer. The Holy Spirit will give you revelation, but the repentance of sin has to come first. And then when you repent of your sins, you make Jesus the Lord of your life. You give him charge over your actions, over your thoughts, over your words. When you do that, you start reading the word. Once you read the word, the organic progression of your faith 
and salvation will give you your position in the church to do his will and go tell other people exactly how you heard it. This is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. Amen.